0: Morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick sigelski and today we have the one and only Tom Hemmingson. He is the head of mid-market and SDR over at Thrive. Nick, why should people listen? If you're the type of
1: salesperson that wants to learn how to find critical events to drive timeline and have tough conversations with your customer to actually figure out if your deal is coming in, this is one that you might want to listen
0: to. Three, two, one, your deal's coming in.
1: Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get
0: that documentation for free at the link in the show notes.
1: It's All right, Tom, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. Yeah.
2: Number one is use micro steps. So what are micro steps? Micro steps are too small to fail actions that eventually lead to lasting change. So science shows that it takes on average 21 days or more to create a habit. So In terms of sales, oftentimes salespeople have great goals, audacious goals. That's obviously something that as a seller, you need to have, you need to be ambitious. But micro steps are actually breaking down that large goal into smaller pieces where it will build the foundation. And again, they're too small to fail. So what might those look like for a seller? Um, A goal of a seller may be to... Get your pitch in an amazing spot whether it's a cold call whether it's when a prospect asks on the first disco what do you actually do so an uh, example of a micro step would be every morning as you're pouring your cup of coffee or tea or if you don't drink caffeine your first glass of water is to actually practice your pitch as you're pouring it so that is something where it's a small step and totally achievable over time it'll slowly just become natural and then you can even build off of that so maybe the step after would be you know spend the next five minutes going through, you know, a few slides or something like that. So another one that I really love is actually I found myself uh, in this remote environment being very distracted, right, going checking Slack, checking email. And so one thing I like to do is try to be more present. And so that's obviously a big goal. But one thing to do rather than just saying be present is actually buy a stress ball and hold on to that stress ball during Zoom meetings so you actually can't multitask. So small, actionable step that over time will actually lead to lasting change and help me become much more present. So lots more that you could do. Those are obviously just two examples, but the key is just too small to fail.
1: Beautiful. What's number two, Tom?
2: Number two is using phrases like mutual fit. And I like to be direct. So we all know that as sellers, creating a collaborative and in an environment where you can really have direct conversations with either your champions or your executive sponsors is incredibly important. And that doesn't come naturally to every single person that's that's in sales. Um, So what I find is actually using that phrase, one mutual fit uh, will help lower the guard of your prospects to help them understand that you're not just selling them this no matter what, just as much as you're being evaluated on your solution, you're evaluating them to see if it's a good fit. So that just creates a great partnership. And then the next one is actually saying the words, I like to be direct, speak it into existence. Even if you don't actually feel that comfortable, if you just start saying it, one, you will start to believe it. But two, it creates again, that environment where people understand, okay, he likes to be direct. Now, maybe I can be a bit more direct with him. That helps prospects open up and feel like they're not hurting your feelings. And especially for reps that sure, it's been said on the podcast, you know, have happy ears, or often times get overzealous, um, that can really help create that direct and collaborative environment.
1: Oh man. I love it. Round us out, Tom. What's your last one?
2: Yeah. Number three, final one. So asking questions, you actually just think about, uh, we just talked about being direct and I had an epiphany one day as a manager that reps will oftentimes wonder things about your deals, right? Who else are they evaluating? Why is their timeline this date? How are they looking? How are they measuring success, right? All of those key questions. And I had this epiphany when a rep was actually, we got off a call and they started just rattling all these questions off to me. And I really stepped back and said, why are you asking me? Let's go ask the prospect, right? Now, obviously you have to develop some type of partnership. You have to know when to ask those right questions, right? You can use your manager to maybe ask the questions. There's lots of different techniques we can get into, but just overall, like, Think about any time you're thinking about a question or you're talking to a colleague or to your manager or whomever actually write that question down and put it in your notes of what you need to cover for the next meeting.
0: Killer. So let's dig into number three. One of the places that I find even my reps will have a hard time is getting towards the end of the quarter. You have a mid funnel deal and it's not at the finish line but you know you need to ask the hard questions on if they have intention to close this month, but a lot of reps hesitate to ask questions around driving timeline. And so I'm curious, how do you coach your reps if there's not a very obvious explicitly stated event or timeline, how you get prospects to talk about when they're going to buy?
2: Yeah. Like you said, obviously, first and foremost, you want to try to find that critical event, right? And you can obviously make your own critical events as well. Discounting is obviously one that um, you can do, you prefer not to, but uh, you can talk about those as a critical event. But yeah, if you don't have those specific critical event that you're tracking towards, first and foremost, take a step back and ask yourself two questions. One, are you working with the right people? And then two, do you have an understanding of what their process is to actually buy? So right before you start spouting off those direct questions, you need to come in with a game plan that you earn the right to ask those direct questions. And if it's end of quarter, you actually know that it could be feasible. Okay, so starting with the are you speaking to the right people? I mean, they may not be your champion may not be the person who can actually get legal turned around, get procurement turned around. If it's a smaller company, you know, get it in front of the CEO's desk so they can actually sign. So always challenging yourself to understand how much pull does that person have internally and who can we work with? And then two is to, yeah, just better understand what that actual process looks like and, you know, what they have talked about thus far. So outside of those two, I'd say you obviously just want to start with that as early as possible, because if you start to talk about timelines and their process early on, then that's just going to give you a better understanding because What you really want to do is tie it back to what you've already discussed and have that mutual agreement and partnership throughout the entire prospecting phase. So you don't want to just say, hey, like you want to always be able to tie back to we've talked about this. You said that you wanted to get things done by this date. Here's the people involved. And here's what your buying process is okay, great. How are we tracking now? Do you think this is something we can actually get done before the end of the month?
1: Can you talk a little bit about the timing conversation that you have and the critical events that you look for? Because one of the areas that I struggled with as a new AE was like figuring out what the heck a critical event was and then actually how I prompted that conversation with a customer.
2: Yeah. So there's two different worlds that you live in where one, it is very easy to get to that. And then the second, it is much more nuanced. So let's start with the easy one. I've led teams, sold at teams where it's both. The first one is you're selling a rip and replace solution. Okay. So if you're selling a rip and replace solution, there is always the critical event of what they're using today will obviously be out of their contract or, you know, when you come in, they actually have to get out of that and move in. So yeah, if they are using something, that's a pretty straightforward conversation because obviously... There's a lot of organic conversation that's going to happen already, right? So you would say, you know, hey, Nick, I know that you're using this tool today. Like, tell me about it. Help me understand what you like, what you dislike, et cetera. That's going to be very early on. And then actually asking the specific question. Now, this is where the nuance comes in. How much trust do you have built? Are they the right person? actually asking that question of when does your contract end and when do you need this live buy? That is the critical event. When do you need this live buy and what happens if it's not live by X date? So yeah, if it's not a rip and replace solution, I've been there too. That's actually what we're um, in some ways, what I'm facing right now at, at Thrive, my current company. And it starts first and foremost with just creating that sense of urgency, right? And what I mean by that is maybe it's a slow part of their their quarter. Maybe it is something that like for us, we sell into HR and oftentimes it'll be like, okay, post the benefit sign up period. That's very busy. So kind of use that as critical event to say we have a couple months here. Let's try to get there. Or, you know, it's tied to a company objective they have. So really just trying to understand what they're focused on and then how can you tie it back to that is. Yeah, it takes some time, but it's uh yeah, when you when you get there, it's it's great.
0: So Tom, you, you talked about leveraging your manager and then also just being direct. Let's say that we're not doing a rip and replace and you're trying to create an event here. How can I be direct without just asking someone what they're gonna buy? In other words, how do I ask these questions to my customers?
2: Yeah. Well, If it's about pricing, if it's about finalizing the contract or legal, uh, using the tit for tat of I'm going to I can bring in this person if you're able to bring in that person. Right? said much more eloquently than I just did, but kind of you and your champion work together and you two are always on the same page. You're trying to help one another. And then really kind of do the bad manager, good AE situation where I think managers can always come in and be the ones who ask those tough, direct questions and they don't always land. And sometimes they can challenge people and get them flustered, but that's good as well, right? Like if they're not answering your questions directly and they can't tell you how they're measuring success, or who else is involved, or what the competitive landscape is, then it may not be a good deal. And you and your manager can walk away and say, you know what, we're not going to forecast this as a commit, or most likely this is, you know, more of a a best case or something of upside. So really just leveraging your manager to come in and ask those more tough, direct questions, I always think is, is a better way to do it. So you can continue to build that relationship with your champion. But I always try to help my team. Like, don't I don't want to be a crutch for you.
0: So, Tom, Nick is your AE, and Nick has done a great job building a relationship with his champion, right? But Nick is afraid to ask the hard questions. He doesn't know if his deal is going to get done. He doesn't know the decision process. And now he's multi-threading. He's getting in front of the chief people officer, and what he's doing is he's also also multi-threading internally. So he's bringing on a sales manager too, right? And so you get on that call with Nick, and it's the first time meeting with a chief people officer, the first time meeting with an executive. What are the kinds of questions that you're asking that your reps might not normally ask?
2: So having an honest conversation about what they understand thus far. Reps oftentimes want to assume that all of the work that they've done thus far is being communicated up the ladder perfectly right so ensuring that whether it's that recap slide that you're sharing actually asking the chief people officer or whomever it is like hey help me understand where you're at in understanding our product what's important to you and really trying to get to just what they know thus far that would be the the point that I uh, start off on the other piece though i don't think it's as much about the reps Not knowing when to ask the question or being comfortable with it, but was their champion or the other people they were working with, were they knowledgeable enough, right? So just once you get to the chief people officer, actually asking them about what their procurement process is and asking them about like, how long does legal typically take? And that's actually another great key takeaway is using the phrase, using the word realistic. Okay. I throw realistic in front of everything. Actually saying, realistically, when do you think you will have a solution in place? Because they just it it sparks something in their mind where they say, oh, yeah, well, realistically, it's actually going to take this amount of time.
1: On the note of timelines, we talked about like the compelling event, the critical event earlier. And let's say somebody says, hey, you know what? Our slow period is going to be in September. That's six months from now. Um, You know, that's when we would like to be live on this thing and seeing impact from it. Can you talk to me about how you then back out the timeline talking about things like implementation and training, etc, to keep the deal driving so they don't just say, all right, well, we want this live in September. Talk to you in August.
2: So I think yeah the first first piece is is creating a mutual action plan together. Now does that need to be something you actually write and share with a customer? I think ideally yes. Obviously there's lots of you know you can do it in Excel etc. I would highly plug a tool called Accord. Um, their mutual action plan software that is that is great. Um, the founders Ross and Ryan, great people, understand sales and what Accord does is create a really collaborative environment where you can create that mutual action plan together. So outside of however you're doing it. First and foremost, what I would say is before you're asking them and grilling them about what their process is, you become the vulnerable one and you talk about what your process is. Okay. So that can also really help more inexperienced buyers as well for you to say, okay, so we've done a discovery call, we've done a demo, we've maybe even talked pricing. Now, sales process from there is going to vary based off what solution you're selling, what space you're in, enterprise, SMB, mid-market, et cetera. But being able to, you actually say, okay, once we do a discovery, then we're going to do the demo. Then we're going to talk pricing. But then after that, you know, are we going to do a POC? Are we going to do a trial? Are we going to get legal started? Do you have a security review? And so you actually listing out everything that you've seen as make a, as making a customer have a successful evaluation. Have you looked at other competitors? Right? Like you can take it in a lot of different ways. Now you do want to understand what this person's experience is as well. So let's not be robots. If you're selling to someone who has. 20, 30 years of experience, then you probably want to go a less away from telling them how to do it and then just asking them that question. So, you know, your process, you ask them their process. And from there, you try to map that you put specific dates. That's why mutual action plan helps to actually create the visual. And then you start to tie it to, well, if we can do this, this date, this date, then we're going to map. And then eventually we're going to have our, you know, target, target go live date.
1: So at what point in the sales process are you actually having this conversation? Cause I feel like if you show up on the very first zoom and you're like, so here's how people buy this thing. And that's the first thing you hit them with. That might be a little too early, but if you start pro- talking process too late, like you might end up missing on the timeline or you miss critical pieces of like how they want to evaluate. So when do you start that process yeah. conversation?
2: Lots of time. To- lots of tough times to draw hard lines in the ha- sand and sales. But I would say, Definitely not on the discovery call. Okay, so we'll draw that line there. Do not even bring that up. That is just a time where you obviously want to get to understand them. They get to know you a bit more and you really try to qualify and, and set your next stage up for success, whether that's a demo, presentation, etc. If they understand broadly what you do and how you can help them, maybe not all the specifics around, you know, does it integrate with all of our tools we have? Does it do X, Y, Z, but just understanding, making sure they have an understanding of the product in general. And then if they would, or you think they should progress down next step. So What you don't want to do is go through the whole demo and presentation, get to the end and say, don't ask them for any feedback. You have no clue if it's resonating. And then you say, and great, here's our mutual action plan. So after this, we're going to talk pricing and then legal. It's like that will just totally. And I think that happens more often than we like than we like to think. You get into that process and you just go through it. But actually taking a step back and saying, like, are they ready to have this conversation? It goes back to Armand when you asked me earlier, like, how do you know when to ask for their business or it's coming to the end of the quarter and it's like well have you talked about that yet like you have to talk about it and you have to know when are those right places to ask the questions rather than just following your own process but um yeah i'd say if it's like if you've ended a pricing call overall and depends on how complex your pricing is if you've ended a pricing call and you haven't talked to mutual action plan then i'd say it's pretty much useless at that point
0: so tom one of the places where reps will get caught up are sort of the last three steps of the process. Commercial terms, legal review, security review. Those three things can drag out a ton, right? And so whether in the context of a mutual action plan or anywhere else, what are some things that I can do to speed those processes up and stop the death by a million cuts battle?
2: Yeah. Uh, One thing is to actually, to work with your prospect around do those things need to happen in specific time periods? Okay, so what do I mean by that? You don't have to start legal once you've had a mutual agreement, you've agreed to financial terms and everything else is good, right? You don't have to start security before you have to do an executive presentation to the key stakeholders, right? So oftentimes, like I just said earlier, Reps can just get into, this is what the process is, but if you are direct and you can actually have those honest conversations, then sometimes people are open to starting legal before. And then the second piece that sticks out, especially as I've gone from a much larger organization where we had 2000 people at my last company, tons of structure, process. If you're at a smaller organization, just really understanding who are your key stakeholders that you need to work with internally to get those things done and to build relationships with them. And so you kind of do that discovery, create that partnership with them. And if you identify who can help you internally and you are always on top of, does this have to happen before this, like I said earlier, then I think those two those two things combined will really help you, one, execute, but then make it as efficient as possible.
0: It's amazing. A lot of times people will try to run these as back-to-back processes, to your point. What people don't realize is two things. Number one, it takes two weeks to get through a proper negotiation. It takes at least two weeks to get through red lines, and it usually takes at least a week to get through security. And if you're at the end of quarter, they're working on all of their team's deals and the things they want to buy. And I promise you, they're prioritizing the things that their sales reps want to sell first over the things that they want to buy from you. And so you have to run these things in parallel. The second reason it's important to run things in parallel is because you do not have the full ask at price because the full ask does not just consist of a discount. The full ask consists of that liability cap that you want, that extra increase on the SLA, for example. And if you don't have the full ask, all you're gonna do is you're gonna get this death by a million cuts. And so whenever I get pushed really hard by procurement on pricing, I say like, hey, I'm happy to give some of this stuff up, but you need to go to your legal team and tell them that they can't touch that entire agreement. And then they'll be like, all right, let's start to get the full ask on the table. And that's how you speed these things up. You get it all on the table and you finish it in one cut.
2: And it'll help you stress test, right? I mean, if you're going through legal, it's a competitive situation. And you can even ask again, be direct, ask them, are, are you looking at other red lines too? Like, are you sending three red lines to your, to your team? Or like, that's a lot, you know, you can start to piece together how, how legit the deal is as well. And so you can forecast it accurately and, and plan accordingly and all that, all that fun stuff.
1: Beautiful. Well, Tom, we are running out of time here. And so we've got to move ourselves to the final question of the interview. And the final question is this we have talked about a ton of really great things that salespeople should be doing, but now we're gonna flip that on its head and ask about the inverse. So the last question is what is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it's hurting them more than it's helping? Tie it
2: back to micro steps earlier. Like salespeople are naturally driven and ambitious and want to hit their quota. And It's great to be able to say, I want to hit my goals, I want to do this, but are they actually thinking through the small steps that it's going to take to get there? So be ambitious, have those goals, want to get promoted, want to get into management, want to sell those enterprise deals, whatever it may be, but actually thinking about, okay, can you specifically understand what it's going to take for you to get there? So have the goals, but just be very detailed in what it's going to take to get there and use the micro steps, too small to fail habits. And over then they'll, they'll build on each other and, um, should have long-term success.
1: Well, you've encouraged both me and Armand to buy a stress ball and we probably both should have bought one (laughs) decades ago. Exactly. Tom, thanks for joining us. Is there anything you want to promote before we jump off here?
2: No, I think Nick, Armand, just appreciate the both of you and the work that you're doing. I think uh, the actionable insights and how helpful this uh, podcast is for sellers is amazing. So there's there's so much stuff out there, right, whether it be LinkedIn. So the more that good people are talking about how great it is to, to be in sales as a career and all the different techniques and tools you can use is just incredible. So uh, no, appreciate you both. And uh, if anyone has any other questions follow up with me on on linkedin or anything always happy just to to talk to folks and uh, and you know see if there's any way we can all all help one another
1: tom thank you so much for joining us and everybody stick around for a 60 second recap coming up soon
0: today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by rocket reach who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts. Again, yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with RocketReach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect Your top four takeaways from this episode with Tom Hemmingson include, number one, you've got two questions to ask before you start asking about timeline. Number one, do I have the right people in place? And then number two, do I have the right process mapped out? Number two. If you're going after a rip and replace solution, the natural timeline is when that existing contract expires. If not, you need to tie timeline to some company event or initiative or time, even if it's a slow season. Number three, use your managers to change the face and ask hard questions around timeline. When they multi-thread, you should start to multi-thread and use your manager to ask about their decision-making process. And then lastly, number four, mutual action plans, folks. Make sure you use them. You track out all of the key events, starting with where they wanna go live and then walking back implementation, procurement, legal, security, negotiation, the whole nine yards. Already, Nick, how can people help us out here?
1: Well, I have a micro step for you, audience. If you like 30 Minutes to President's Club, if you have a goal to become a better salesperson, well, it's tough. Every week, you've got to search for 30 Minutes to President's Club in your podcast app and go out and seek that. Instead, what if the episode was delivered to your podcast app on a daily basis? There is a way to do that. It has nothing to do with us. You can subscribe to this show. And then your micro step every Wednesday, you're going to see a new 30 MPC episode. Go do that. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club.